Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are the bulls and bears both screwed? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Hi, Darius. Hey, Maggie. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? Great to see you. And we're asking that question specifically for you because you tweeted last Friday and it caught our eye and you are worried that both the bulls and the bears may be at risk here. Walk us through what your thinking is. Yeah, so uh, it really starts with, you know, kind of where market positioning and market consensus are. Um, If you look at the bond market, uh, particularly short term, you know, forward rate spreads, whether you look at the Fed's near term forward spread or you look at other forward spreads, whether it be the 12 month forward, you know, T-bill minus the spot T-bill yield. They're pricing in a very significant amount of Fed easing over the next, you know, you know, 12 to 18 months. And if you look at Fed funds futures, that easing is likely to start, or at least what's currently priced into the market, in uh, in, in November of this year. That's actually changed since September over the last week or so. And so what we're looking at in terms of both liquidity and factors in the real economy could actually see some of that pricing, you know, kind of come out of the market in terms of bond market volatility in the coming months, uh, at least a couple of the couple of quarters before we get into the kind of recessionary phase of this business cycle. So um, I have a couple of charts that I'd like to share with that uh, on that topic. Uh, first chart, Brian, if you can go that up, uh, where we show uh, the U.S. consumer looking at the PCE report. Um, in, in the top panel, we show real, real personal consumption expenditures, which are 70% of the U.S. economy, are growing and compounding on a three-month annualized basis at 4.3%. Now, that's basically double the pre-COVID trend. No one's talking about this because everyone keeps talking about recession, but you're seeing housing data pick up in recent months. Obviously, the consumers are remaining resilient because we have a significant amount of real income growth. That's at 7.6% in terms of disposable personal income. So we do have a consumer, resilient consumer, but the the issue as it relates to the bond market is slide two, Brian, if you get that up on the screen, where I just, uh, circled the uh, top panel and the bottom panel, we got core CPI still compounding at 5%. On a three-month annualized basis, but more importantly than compounding at five percent is the fact that it is in the same place that it was five months ago. So we have a lot of disinflation on a year-over-year basis, but that disinflation is going to stop in the coming months if we don't start to see these sequential time series break down. And at the bottom panel in that chart, there we show Supercore CPI compounding at four percent. That's just four point one percent. That's twice the Fed's in, uh, preferred target, and it's in the same place that we were four months ago. So I'm not sure we're out of the woods from the perspective of bond market volatility, purely from the perspective of the recession being delayed relative to kind of investor consensus. Yeah, I want to I want to get to why. So that's that's why the bears are 
potentially in trouble. Yeah. Um, but I want to get to the Bulls. But just before that, I want to bring up something that we we got a comment right before we came on from Jim uh, saying, and we we asked him to clarify, but he he's saying, doesn't anybody remember the Fed said that, that they wanted inflation for longer to make up the period where they couldn't get it to 2%. Uh, and that's true, but did they want this kind of inflation? I don't think so, right? Like they wanted sort of trend inflation, not disinflation, but this is this is way above what they're comfortable with, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. In fact, they scrapped their average inflation target, which is what the the, the viewers um kind of alluding to back in the fall of 2021. If you mentioned if you, you hear the price stability target, their target is two percent. They have not said anything about an average of 2% really since the fall of 2021. So uh, I don't believe that the Fed is operating under that framework. That was the kind of maximum and inclusive employment framework, you know, the, uh, the the average inflation targeting framework when they thought inflation was transitory. I don't think anyone at the FOMC thinks inflation is transitory at this particular juncture. So I don't think that we have to worry about that as investors. But there are a lot of other things we need to worry yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, if anyone wants to hear, for those of you who missed it, Fridays are tough. We had an extended with Dennis Lockhart, who was the former Atlanta Fed president, sat around a lot of Fed yeah. meetings. He had some really, really interesting things to say. Fed officials are usually really kind of closed up, um, and he is former, but he was very interesting in talking about the thinking, and he talked about kind of that that recency bias from when they were stuck in that environment where they couldn't get inflation to move, and you know having to adjust to the prospect that maybe they're in a a new macro regime. And, you know, they're just like everyone else, right, trying to figure it out. Very interesting kind of digging into to all of that. I mean, we didn't extend it with them. So if you missed it or if you weren't able to stay for the extended, um, you know, hop on that QR code and you can get on and see it. Because I think it was really some really interesting nuggets in there. But Darius, okay, so back to your thesis. So bears are stuck. For, what's the problem with bulls? Why are they at risk? Well, so the problem with bulls is just the, the time decay of this bearish positioning. Um, obviously, if you look at dispersion within the equity market, we're actually getting some pretty negative signals uh, that we spoke about in our lead-off morning note this morning. But dispersion within the equity market has been trading or trending very negatively, as negatively as it ever has, you know, if you look at the time series over the last kind of 25, 30 years. And so that implies that you have a buy-side consensus that is very grossly exposed to the market. They're really long their longs and they're very short their shorts, and they have a lot of gross exposure uh, in the market. And that's based on you know, this kind of negative economy recession view. And so you kind of roll the clock forward. If we don't, if we don't go into a recession, you know, over the near very near term, which many investors think, if you look at Bloomberg consensus estimates, you know, they're calling for the first quarter of negative GDP in the second quarter of this year. You look at bottom-up analyst estimates. Uh, in fact, Brian, that's slide four. Uh, we put up a slide four where we show S&P 500 analyst estimates at the bottom left of that chart for sales and earnings growth. They're looking for minus 8% earnings, uh, negative earnings growth in the second quarter of this year. Now, what if it comes in at, you know, minus two or three, which is kind of where it's been at over the past couple of quarters? And so you could easily see, you know, the, a very big convergence trade kind of snap uh, into, into, those, uh, into those investors. But ultimately, what tends to happen late in the bull market cycle, or this is definitely not a bull market, what tends to happen late in the business cycle is that one by one investors have to capitulate to the realization that the recession hasn't started. Now, I mean, we've been talking, you and I have been talking on this program about the potentiality of a recession since going back a year ago. Mm -hmm. And the yield curve inverted, you know, back in October, if you look at 10 year, three month, or back in June, if you look at 10 year, two year. So it's been quite a while for a lot of investors to be running around talking about recession. But guess what? I just said the economy is doing, you know, I wouldn't say just fine, but it's, do, it's hanging in there and it's likely to continue hanging in there, according to our business cycle timing models, until you get into the fourth quarter, or maybe even as late 
as the first quarter of next year. So you roll the clock forward. That's the same problem that happened in October 2007. It's the same problem that happened to, to bears in September of 2000, which is you just capitulate because it's not happening soon enough. Mm. And they always capitulate at the right or wrong time. So I could easily see a lot of bond market and stock market volatility in the third quarter, you know, for liquidity uh, cycle reasons that could easily rotate it back into kind of a blow off top into the early part of the fourth quarter because bears are just capitulating. And then that's when the movie's likely to start. So it's so so basically the timing is screwing everybody because the bears the, it'll 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 be delayed enough for the bulls to think they're right and the bears yep. will throw in the hat and exactly when the bulls are convinced they're right it'll happen the bears have already got out of the trade and the bulls will be stuck in it because they think it's a soft landing a hundred percent I mean go back to that chart that I just put up slide four look at the the, the so go back and look at the the farthest right candles are on that chart the blue lines represent uh, again S and B five hundred earnings growth analysts bottom up analyst consensus is calling for earnings growth of plus 9% in both Q4 of this year and Q1 of next year. Now, that very much rhymes with the view that sales-side consensus had coming into 2023, which is recession first half, recovery second half. Recession first half, recovery second half. Well, if we don't have a recession in the first half, the recession does not start in the third quarter, we're going to be talking, at least a lot of investors are going to be looking around and saying, maybe that was it, that's paused. Time to go, time to get long. And that's exactly the right, in our opinion, that'll be the exact wrong opportunity to get long. There's always there's always a couple of things that complicate this, aren't there? One of them is that things are different this time. And we do have this enormous wave of AI. And just today, there were reports out that hedge fund giant Stevie Cohen made comments at a private dinner that he's pretty bullish about the market because of everything AI is going to unleash. I mean, we're also hearing from voices who say it might wipe out mankind, <laughs> but no, another thing for us to worry about. But, you know, you do have this sense that, and, and you've seen it, NVIDIA, Microsoft, I mean, it's super narrow, but you can see the money sort of piling into that. It, it makes it hard to figure out whether you can kind of trust some of the others. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I, I think we'll... You know, this is something I, I'll, <laughs> I don't think this time is different. <laughs> there are, you know, bulls and bears operating financial markets being driven by fear and greed, and the cycle is going to continue the cycle. Obviously, there's different things in each cycle, um, but the, in my opinion, AI is no different than the internet. I mean, put up slide five, Brian, uh, where we show, um, where we debunk one of the myths that U.S., uh, everybody's bearish. Well, if you look at the second panel in this chart on slide five, we're showing household allocation to stocks as a percent of their total assets, and that's at 31% down from a peak of 36% in the middle of 2021. That 31% is just shy of the all-time bubble.com high that we were, that we saw back in, in 2000. And so, you know, the internet was this awesome thing back in 2000 and everyone was spending from a corporate perspective as much money as possible to, to kind of lever, you know, leverage that, um, that, that opportunity, but that didn't stop the market from getting cut in half. <laughs> and so in my opinion, you know, just because you have a, you know, a fundamental tailwind if it meets the wrong part of the macro cycle, particularly if it meets the wrong part of the liquidity cycle, which I very much think it will in the third quarter and, and in the first half of next year, you're going to have a lot of um, a lot of uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of questions to answer about you know where this AI stuff is coming from. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Darius, that was a very painful truth you just laid on us there, because <laughs> if you think about that, I mean, it is true if you look back. And by the way, that did lay the groundwork for like enormous societal changes. But but you're right, like in that can be a lot of froth, especially when people are trying to sort of just throwing money where they're not sure what's going to work or they're not sure if there's going to be, you know, a standard or a winner. I mean, this is what we're all talking about all the time. So it's it's scary, but really excellent point to bring up that comparison to 2000. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking a lot more about that, I suspect. Um, the other thing that comes up all the time, and I'm gonna, we're going to play a clip from an interview because this is the other sort of argument I think that comes up. So Harry Melandri spoke with Tom Caddick, Managing Director at Ned Group Investments, in the latest installment of The Next Big Trade. Now, they were talking all about commercial real estate, but Tom did sort of discuss his overall macro outlook. Let's have a listen to that, and we'll talk on the other side. Your view has to be built on some kind of broader macro view about the likely recession risks we're facing and the intensity and, and duration of any of any of the coming recession or if there is even a recession mm -hmm. uh, because obviously if the fed rate raises rates some more you might not necessarily be so bullish of of real estate and also if recession is sufficiently intense uh, that could also put you off real estate as well so what sort of recession risks have you built into that view um, so our base case, our base case is that we will start, to, we've already seen peaking inflation, certainly in the US, we're starting to see peak inflation in, in UK and Europe, um, and that we will continue to see a slowing but continued upward cycle in terms of in terms of base rates, but that, that is slowing and we will start to see that moderate and move to a more dovish or more accommodative uh, environment from central banks. So looking towards the end of this year um, to start to see evidence of that. So clearly some some continued headwinds, but that's all, a lot of that is already priced in. Sure. You know, you just need to look at the yield curve to see that. Just that's a little snippet of what was a really interesting conversation about commercial real estate. I know a lot of you have been asking about that. So if you're interested to, to see what Tom's big trade idea is around that, um, you can go check out the full interview on our platform. If you're not already a member, scan the QR code so you can hear all of the episodes of The Next Big Trade. We love that show. Uh, so Darius, this is this. So when he said that, this is sort of reminded me of what we hear a lot. Um, and that's okay. There's going to be a recession, but you know, most of the bad news is already telegraphed. You know, the market's a forward, you know, discounting mechanism. Um, a lot of the bad news is already priced in. What do you think about that? Do we need to be, you know, is the timing issue going to create a problem with that? Idea? Uh, so it's one, I would disagree with the view that markets are forward looking. I think we've back tested asset markets as well as anyone on the sell side. Uh, and I, I say that very politely. Um, and when we construct those back tests, you know, we're looking at very sophisticated, you know, statistics like expected returns, sharp ratios, covariance, all that stuff. You, the, you, you, what you really quickly find is that back, the markets aren't really look more than kind of two to three months ahead. Yeah. Once you get into the four to five months ahead time frame, 
there is almost no correlation between the market and things that you would think to drive markets like earnings, GDP growth. Thank you for that, because I always feel like it's more reactive than predictive. But It's no. much more reactive. And the reason why, Maggie, if you, Brian, if you throw up slide six, it's particularly in the post-crisis era. I, I would argue markets are probably a lot more forward-looking prior to the GFC. Mm. But post-GFC, liquidity has been the dominant driver. Raoul's been all over this in, in recent months in terms of his, talking about his model. Uh, we, When this chart here on slide six, we show our uh, global liquidity proxy, uh, which the sum of the uh, G6 central banks, the G6 economy, or the, the largest six economies in their uh, narrow money supply, as well as world FX reserves minus gold. And that sum of that, and that, that, that blue line, that sum of those uh, three factors has a 0.94 R squared to global equity market cap and a 0.95 R squared to the S&P over the, since 2009. And so it's, if you're telling me that markets are forward looking, you're basically saying that liquidity is not the driver of markets, which you know, I, I think you'd have, to exit, you'd have to exit most rooms on the buy side when you make those kinds of comments. But one thing I would call out, particularly in terms of the headline of this chart, which is, you know, there's been a lot of talk around on Twitter and in the kind of finance financial ecosystem about kind of global liquidity and how it's been proving and it's going to continue to improve. And that's really got a lot of people trapped at 31,000 in Bitcoin, got a lot of folks trapped at 4,200 in, in S&P terms, in our opinion, because the improvement in the global liquidity cycle has not been linear. Um, as you can see in those max drawdown studies, mm -hmm. middle panel and the bottom panel of this chart. The recovery in asset markets, which is the bottom panel, the S&P, the recovery in the S&P off the October lows has been somewhat linear. At least it's thawed out in the last couple of months, but the improvement in global liquidity has very much not been linear. And that kind of scares me because if you look at the next chart, Brian, where we layer on um, you know, world equity market cap in the red line, and we layer on Bitcoin, uh, both in price terms uh, in, that, in that same analysis, in those bottom three panels, we show trailing one-year Z-scores for each of the global liquidity proxy for uh, world market market cap and for Bitcoin and global liquidity proxy still trading at a minus 0.6 sigma, whereas world equity market caps up here at a plus one, Bitcoin's at a plus one sigma. So they kind of ran up like the recovery in global liquidity was linear, but the recovery in global liquidity is, uh, li <laughs> the recovery in global liquidity is not linear, and it's going to get increasingly not linear once we get into the third quarter or whenever we get past uh, these debt ceiling negotiations. I can unpack that as well. Yeah, uh, we, we certainly want to because we have questions about both. But let me let me bring one in that is related to Bitcoin since you're since you're mentioning it. Um, Miguel asking, does Darius still see Bitcoin at 10k in the short term? 10k? No, that's not. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know where. That where is not a. Goes. That's not a comment I've made ever. <laughs> so what? So so, are you suggesting with the 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 liquidity that it's going to be volatile? I mean, how are you seeing that? I mean, I, we've probably seen the year-to-date highs. I mean, maybe not the year-to-date highs, but certainly I think we've seen a high for, for a little while now. I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum actually just broke to neutral from bullish in, in terms of our, our volatility, just a momentum signal this morning. So I would call that out if you're long Bitcoin. You know, you're probably going to be walking into an environment with a lot more volatility than we experienced in recent months. Uh, number two, just in terms of like this, this concept of liquidity, there's a lot of stuff going on. We've talked about this in, in the most recent um, uh, Real Vision I was on a couple of weeks ago. But when you pass the debt ceiling, so clearly there's potentiality for negative market event into the debt ceiling. The closer we get, the more likely we're going to see something that looks like 2011. I think we can all agree on that. What we, I think the, the bigger, more structural overhang for asset markets on the other side of the debt ceiling are twofold. One, we got to take the Treasury General Account balance from zero to $600 billion, or at least that's what the, 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 the Treasury has outlined um, for the end of the, sec the end of September or quarter. And then number two, that we're going to return to net coupon issuance. It's going to go from basically zero to something greater than zero. 
which means quantitative tightening, which has not been draining bank reserves over the past six months, is going to start draining bank reserves again. Mm. And so in our opinion, you're, got, you're, you're, you're dealing with a negative liquidity situation in the U.S. that suggests that the dollar could actually start the bottom and rise again, which would obviously be a, a tertiary headwind to global liquidity as well. So it, the liquidity backdrop in the third quarter is actually quite poor. You could see asset markets trading like much like they did in 2022, which is stocks down, bonds down. But ultimately, if we're you know if the recovery, if the recession is as delayed as I think it's likely to be, which is Q4, maybe even Q1 of next year, then you could probably recover from those levels. If we're wrong on the timing of recession and it's you know Q3 or Q4 of this year, then I think you could easily go from a negative liquidity environment causing volatility in asset markets to a negative economic environment causing capitulation in asset markets. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Wow. I think that we are going to have to start turning the daily briefing into happy hour because we might need some fortification for, for some of these. But but information is power, right? Yeah. And offense is the best defense. And maybe there's another one I can think of. But we need to know we need to be thinking about this because as you pointed out earlier, a lot of this is not priced in and, and that is should make us all a little bit nervous. So let's get to the debt ceiling, some questions about that. Uh, Scott is saying, how do you feel about longer duration bonds in the context of the debt ceiling? Uh, so our, our weather model, which is a, a pretty sophisticated dynamic factor model that guides our asset allocation process, is currently bearish on bonds. Liquidity is quite poor. There are a variety of other metrics in that, in that system that's calling the bond signal to be negative, um, not the least of which is the fact that investors are actually short rates uh, by an extreme degree. And historically, being short rates uh, has historically been uh, led to negative um, ex ante returns in, in the bond market. So I don't know that it's a good idea to be getting max long of bonds here. Now, we've seen a pretty nasty backup in yields over the past couple of weeks, you know, basically 20 basis points over the past couple of weeks. So if you're trying to play allocate to the recession playbook, or more importantly, if you're coming from a, I didn't believe the recession is likely to, I now believe Darius, and it's probably going to start in six or nine months, then I do need to start dipping my toe in on bonds on, on dips. But from the perspective of our of our forward-looking models, which are you know trying to manage the medium term between now and then, I don't think this is the time to be you know max long bonds because again, you're getting net coupon issuance, you're getting TGA refill, you're getting potentially dollar up, which obviously reduces demand from foreign central banks for, for U.S. assets. So all those things could actually be, you know could spur more bond market volatility if we're right that the resilient economy is likely to contribute to resilient inflation between now and then. And one final point I'll make on that. There is no time series history in the history of the core PCE time series of it breaking down substantially ahead of a recession. You always need to go through the recession to mm. get to the actual disinflation process. So all of the disinflation we've seen in recent months and quarters has really just been removal of supply chain issues, you know, kind of um, you know, unwinding of some of this fiscal largesse. But we're going to settle out, as we spoke earlier about this, we're going to settle out at a level of inflation that is significantly uncomfortable for the bond market, in our opinion over the next, let's call it three to four months. 
Yeah. So great distinction there with time frame. So your time frame really matters here. We talk about this in the academy. Um, if you are medium term, that's what Darius was just drilling in on there. If you are longer term, then you know, and you and you have that other view of the recession six to nine months out, then then maybe, but but really judiciously and tactically, it sounds like on dips. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a really important distinction. Thank you for that, Darius. Sammy has a I think a complicated question, but let's see if we can tackle it. Uh, Fed guy, Joseph Wang, believes Fed will continue QT on stage, but then buy treasuries behind the curtain once the debt ceiling deal is reached. And then TGA issues treasuries to market. Do you think bank reserves will be used to buy treasuries or will the Fed buy them QE? I mean, I guess you have to agree with the idea that this will happen at all before you answer that question. I don't know. Have you been thinking about, I mean, it's sort of what happened before, right? Outward facing QT, but behind the scenes, or sort of like what the what, what, what the UK had to do when they had their guilt crisis. You see something like that coming down the pike? No, no. The, the, the Fed has not been purchasing uh, assets. The Fed has expanded its balance sheet vis-a-vis -vis its emergency lending facilities. So we could see something like that. I, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. Um, but certainly the Fed, I mean, this is a Federal Reserve that is failing on its inflation mandate by a factor of two to three. They are nowhere near at all, near administering quantitative easing and large scale asset purchase program into this into this economic environment. I mean, we have to, and don't forget, we the Federal Reserve, if you look at their last summary of economic projections in the month of March, uh, we're gonna get the next one in June, but let's assume it's gonna be somewhere near the same. They're calling for a hundred basis point back, 110 basis point back up in the unemployment rate between now and the year end. So that's obviously probably going to come down, but they're going to push it out further into 2024, which ultimately means, irrespective of when it back out, you know, when it backs up, they're effectively calling for a mild recession because there's never been a hundred basis point move higher in the unemployment rate that did not coincide with recession in the history of the U.S. economy. And so the likelihood that once asset markets are really starting to move to price in recessions, you know, consumer investor or household kind of, you know, uh, liquidity preferences start to change when they get worried about losing their jobs or you know, their business not doing as well, you know, and the people start to rotate out of the equity market, the Fed is not going to be your friend in the early part of that movie. The Fed is going to be eating popcorn alongside me and our clients. <laughs> like, man, I told you so. This is coming. <laughs> we need this pain to get back to a more sustainable and stable inflation environment that will allow the U.S. Treasury to capitalize itself at sustainable yields. Mm -hmm. Right now, if we let the inflation genie stay out of the bottle, we're going to go from negative 50-some basis points in term premium in the 10-year to probably plus 100 or 200, because again, you have to price in that additional volatility that comes economically with higher levels of inflation. Roger kind of asking a question along these lines, with the markets going up so much, why would the Fed ease? Yeah, it's just, duh, yeah, smart man. <laughs> I don't have anything smart to add to that. <laughs> <Of> <laughs> Maybe it was a rhetorical comment, but yeah, yeah. That, that, that doesn't do much to sort of help them, um, you know, do the work for them. Um, Achilles asking, what do you make of the concentrated rally, especially NVIDIA? We kind of talked before that it's not different this time, but do you see that as a risk that the equity rally is so concentrated in such a few names? Uh, so not in isolation. I, I do see it as a risk today. In fact, this morning, we, our dispersion model, which was what we discussed earlier, uh, actually triggered what we call a GTFO signal. So that's a tactical de-risk, degrowth signal before everyone else is forced to. Um, so, you know, who knows how long that signal may last in terms of playing out. But this is not a it's not a structural call. It's more of like a next month or two, you know, kind of uh, take down take down risk because of all the crowding that we're seeing into cyclicals and crowding out of defensives by an extreme degree. 
or sorry, my apologies, the crowding into defensives we're seeing from a sector and style factor perspective and the crowding out of cyclicals, both to an extreme degree. Once we hit both extremes, that's when the signal uh, is triggered. So I am concerned now. I was not concerned prior to this morning because that's what always happens late stage, you know, in late, latter stages of the business cycle, which is industry concentration, you know, the uh, mega cap concentration. These companies are great at what they do. They can buy growth. They can buy back stock. They can increase their dividends. They can survive until the recession hits, whereas a lot of other companies are going to go by the wayside. And that's one final thing I'll make on this comment. Everyone thinks the recession is like this light switch that you turn on. We're all in recession. No, recession is a rolling series of events between households and businesses. The worst businesses, the most levered businesses, the businesses with the, the worst cyclical prospects are going to go into recession first. Same with the households who, you know, people who spent the most money or had the most credit card debt are going to go into recession first. And the people who have been more prudent and the businesses that have better prospects will go into recession last. But eventually we'll all be in recession. Uh, Andrew asking, does DG have any opinion on oil and gold before the arrival of recession? Oil and gold. Gold is tricky. Uh, oil, no, no real opinion. I mean, if, the, if we couldn't rally oil with China reopening, oil's going probably to 50. Let's be totally honest here. If you couldn't get oil to 90 with China reopening, it's going to 50. So I think that's that's an easy call. Gold is very difficult because historically, so you have some very cross, you know, big cross currents factoring into gold. You know, obviously the recession playbook, you know, tends to say you want to be favoring gold and assets like that. And then you also have, you know, clearly what could potentially be more, you know, what's it called? This is the small regional bank, you know, kind of crisis, if you will. The Fed is forced by market instability to kind of add more liquidity in the market. That's something that's been very supportive of Bitcoin, obviously, uh, digital gold this year. So gold is, is, is in a tough spot from that perspective because that makes sense. But we're talking about the potentiality of, of liquidity, you know, a reduction in liquidity in the third quarter that could potentially spill over into the fourth quarter. I would not be buying gold here into that in the same way that I would not be buying bonds here uh, into that. Now, really, any asset, because most assets are correlated. Mm. Bo was asking, is China's reopening really a nothing burger? Is it just that we're not going to see that that sort of you know bump to global activity? because of the nature of the reopening and maybe the domestic focus of it? Or is it just a timing thing again? Is it just slower and longer to get ramped up than we anticipated? Well, so the, in my opinion, and we can have our, our Real Vision Daily Briefing on this, but I will be brief. So there's three things that you know, we called out back towards the beginning of the year in February specifically. Uh, we, we sold China back in February and we called out. We said, hey, look, it doesn't look like they're going to stimulate from a fiscal perspective. We got that signal um, immediately after from the, the party Congress, from uh, outgoing Premier Li Keqiang, who outlined a very muted growth uh, target, outlined a very tight uh, fiscal deficit target, which tells told us these guys aren't going to hit the, you know, the ground with shovel-ready projects in the way they've done in previous cycles. So that was kind of number one. Number two, China was in a structural liquidity trap in 2019 prior to COVID. This was an economy that was on its knees prior to COVID. And so reopening from COVID you're going to get a level reset higher in activity, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to continue to accelerate because again, this is an economy that was really struggling. And number three, the reason the economy was struggling is because of the debt overhang. If you look at private non-financial sector debt in China, I think I want to say it's up around 220, 230% to GDP. That number is like around like 150 or 160 in the US. So these guys have gotten way over their ski tips from a private sector leverage perspective 
And in my opinion, I think that's part of the reason President Xi is very reluctant to kind of, you know, turn the investment dial back up again, because ultimately they know all they're doing is selling the seeds of a more deflationary kind of long-term destruction uh, in that economy. So no, we, we kind of knew this was coming. I think everyone yeah. else is finding on real time. Uh, last question, and it's from two different people, variations of it, uh, both Jason and, <clears throat> excuse me, and Jay, do you sell out of equities when the market gives you an option and hold cash and bonds? Jay was more worried about a risk to money market funds if the debt ceiling isn't, revolved, in, uh, isn't resolved, rather. But same question, is it risk management to remove funds, put them to cash temporarily until we're sorted? Is cash king? You can't get enough cash. I've tried this. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to shoot a rap video at my bachelor party and I needed $10,000 and you can't even take $10,000 out of a bank. <laughs> so no, you can't get out now. If you're, if you're a serious investor, you're probably not going to get enough cash. Look, this is what I'll say. If, if you're worried about your, your liquidity exposures in your portfolio, your cash, your T-bills, you know, however you manage your liquidity, you're missing the forest for the trees. Because if the U.S. defaults, everything else in your portfolio will be limit down twice. So again, I'm not trying to dismiss the probability or dismiss the, you know, the risk of a, a technical default, but I do want everyone to understand that the risk is not to the T-bills that get defaulted on. The risk is to the global financial markets that could be limit down because the U.S., the, the base layer of money and collateral in the global financial system stopped making its payments on time. That is a much bigger risk. I want everyone to understand that. And that is why Janet Yellen has been coming out and talking about catastrophe every single day and will continue to do so until the folks in Washington get can something I, done. Can I end on, on one, on one you know, public service announcement? Yes. And I, you know, I always try to you know, kind of, obviously we can talk finance and analytics all the time, but I think behavioral, this is the part of the game where the behavioral side is really important. When we talk bearishly and say, hey, recession is going to be here in Q4, or Q1 of next year, and, you know, you got to, you know, be worried about, you know, big significant drawdown in the equity and digital asset markets and those things of the nature. We're not trying to get you to run out and sell things or short things. What we're primarily trying to do is to stop you from buying things towards or near the high, because the most hazardous thing that can happen to your wealth is buying something right before it goes down 20, 30, 40, or 50%. That's called volatility drag. You might recover substantially from that, that low, those lows, but you will never compound the kinds of returns you could have compounded in the subsequent you know, market cycle if you had just been more prudent with, you know, the, time with which, the time with which you uh, kind of got all in in the market. So I'm just yeah. trying to make sure people don't go all in at the wrong time. Don't get sucked into it. And it's often, um, you know, individual investors and those of us who are trying to grow our nest eggs. Trust that me, hedge fund guys do it too. Yep. <laughs> they do it too. Exactly. Darius, fantastic stuff today. So appreciate you. Thank you. I think it's a really, you know, people tend to think, um, well, stocks and bonds can't be right. So someone's right. But, you know, this is a really good cautionary note that we could be in for a, a, a tricky time where you can get caught, caught out as we make this transition because timing is everything. So thank you for that. Of course. Thank you, Maggie. Always a pleasure to be here and love the Real Vision audience. You guys are doing great work. Yeah, thank you so much. And great, great questions today. I say that a lot, but honestly, you are the smartest audience in the universe. Uh, we'll be back same time tomorrow. Raul's going to be here with me for an AMA. It's extended. We're going to switch the extended from Friday to Thursday so we can squeeze in as many questions as possible. And Darius is going to have a, a session with Raul coming up in a couple of weeks as well. On the second, yep.
There may or may not be beverages. I'm not sure. We're working on that. But uh, <laughs> we have some ideas. But um, but yeah, definitely tune in tomorrow and come armed with your questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see you then. In the meantime, as always, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 